Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. Our current series focuses on the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at who He is and what He does in the life of a believer. And I hope you'll find this week's message helpful in your personal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry. But before we dig into this together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. It's good to see everybody. So glad you're able to be here. And uh, we're continuing our study. We're getting close to the end of our study that we've been looking at throughout the course of the summer as uh, we've been studying the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And today we're going to be looking at something that really encourages my heart when I look at what Scripture tells us about this. We're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us share our faith. And, you know, for those of us that that care about this, which, Lord willing, is all of us, this is a very encouraging just piece of information to really wrestle with and to think about and to see what the Lord reveals to us in His Word about how the gospel is shared person to person and how the Holy Spirit plays His part in doing so. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at a variety of scriptures this morning. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we're going to be jumping to several other places. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. I'll read it now, and then in a few moments I'm going to read it again. But this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. We thank you for the things that you reveal to us in it. Lord, we find great encouragement in your word, and we're grateful that you reveal to us things that we would not naturally know. We would not understand the details that we know about your nature. We wouldn't understand the fact that you exist as Father, Son, and Spirit. We wouldn't understand automatically 
the role your Holy Spirit plays in the message of the gospel being shared if you didn't reveal it to us in your word. So, Lord, thank you for revealing that information to us. Thank you for helping us understand. And we pray, Lord, that in a very practical way, that as we internalize this info from your word today, that it would impact the ways in which we go about interacting with other people and the ways in which we choose to share the message of the gospel. So, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as believers in, in Jesus Christ who understand that this world needs to know about him in order to trust him and in order to receive new life in his name, we feel an obligation to make the gospel known. Isn't that a fair statement to say? You know, those of us that know Jesus Christ and want to see others come to faith in Christ, we feel a sense of obligation, especially when you look at what Scripture reveals to us about the fact that this is the way that God has ordained that the message of the gospel be spread. And so we share about Jesus with our family and friends. You ever take the opportunity to do that, sharing the message of the gospel with the people you love? We look for opportunities to have conversations about Christ when we're interacting with others. We joyfully express our hope in Jesus if we can find people who will be willing to listen to us as we do so. But if you've taken the time to share the message of the gospel with others, if, you, if you've taken the time to, to share about um, who Jesus is and what he does, I'm sure you could testify to the fact that you've also received a mixed response. You know, there are different ways people react to that. Some people are very responsive and want to hear more. Some people are curious. Some people are dismissive. Other people are hostile. You kind of get a mixed bag as you share the gospel with different people in your day-to-day life. Now, we can joyfully share the hope of the gospel with anyone we come in contact with, but the truth is we have no control over what they choose to do with that information. We have no control over what somebody chooses to do with what we share with them. We present the gospel. We represent Christ but we don't have the ability to convince someone to believe or receive something that they would much rather reject. Sometimes I wish I had that capacity, and maybe you feel that way as well. I know as a child, I I remember I just considered it an art form to see if I could convince my parents of stuff. And when it would work, like I think of some of my favorite albums that I convinced my father to pull over and... uh, stop at a record store so I could buy. And I look back and I think, I would not even do that for my own children. And, uh, and yet, I remember being able to persuade my father to do that when I, uh, when I got one of Bon Jovi's albums in particular. And I was like, you know what? I think of that every time I hear that album. And when it comes to the, sh- the sharing of the gospel, when it comes to the message of the gospel, I wish I could just, like, just persuade everybody I come in contact with to receive Christ. wish I had that capacity I think I wish I had that capacity. I guess the way the Lord has ordained it is the perfect way. And when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, we realize that we have not been sent into this world to share the gospel without help. You and I have not been sent out here on our own to share the message of the gospel. God's Word specifically teaches us, and we'll see this in the various Scriptures we look at together today, God's Word teaches us that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus in our lives generation. He's actively empowering us to be witnesses for Christ in our generation. He also creates opportunities for you and I to speak to other people. He facilitates that. He also prepares the hearts of those who will listen. And he also gives us the right words to say when we need them. 
Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote down the portion of Scripture that we're starting with today from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he was a man who actively shared his faith. And in fact, when you look at, at what he did throughout the course of his adult life, he was willing to share his faith even in hostile context. So a lot of times when we're sharing our faith, we sometimes look for favorable contexts. But Paul was willing to share his faith even in hostile contexts. And as he did so, he was able to testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit empowered him for this task and that the Holy Spirit prepared the hearts of those who were going to listen. Paul could also testify to the fact that there were some people that responded very negatively to the message of the gospel being preached from him. But he, he purposed it in his mind this way or kind of reasoned it in his mind this way. He said, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't want to be guilty of the blood of anyone. Meaning, if I had the information of the gospel that, that could have led to them experiencing eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, I don't want to have to stand before him someday and say, I kept it to myself. And so he was willing to speak up, even in context that didn't applaud him, for doing so. But he also was very transparent, particularly, and I love the portion of Scripture we just read. That's why I said we're going to reread it in just a moment. Um, I love how transparent he chose to be in expressing what it was like sometimes when he would share the gospel. Because I think for many of us, if I was to ask many Christians what they consider one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines to, to follow through on, I think many would say that they experience the most fear or the most trepidation at the thought of verbally engaging somebody with the message of the gospel. And if that's you, don't beat yourself up about it. Understand that there were moments when the Apostle Paul, who was obviously very confident in who the Lord is and what the Lord could do through him, he still had moments like that as well, where he would still say the words. But I think if you ever, if you heard him in the moment, his, his voice might have been not quite as dominant, not, not quite as smooth. It might have been a little bit shaky, and he even describes it that way. And so when you look at what he says here in verses 1 through 5 of second, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says it like this. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, so he's writing to the Corinthian church, he's saying, When I came to you, brothers, or, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And I don't think, by the way, that he meant that figuratively. I think that there are moments when he actually, I mean, do you ever find yourself in a spot where you, you, your body has shaken because of nerves? He says, with, with fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's how Paul describes his attempt to share the message of the gospel with the people in Corinth. Now, here's an interesting thing that I think about every week as I prepare messages for our church family, as I look into what Scripture says and as I try to put some thoughts together to share before our church family that point us to Christ and help us understand His will for our lives. Each week, as I'm doing this and as pastors throughout the world are, are preparing messages for Sunday, they're presented with a dilemma. And this is the dilemma to keep in mind. If this is something that you ever volunteer yourself to do, you have a few options when you're preparing a sermon or a message that you're going to speak before a group. One is to make yourself look good. So you could attempt to do that. You can try to make yourself look good. The other is to try to make Jesus look good. 
Obviously, the latter is preferable. And, but what, what people do sometimes, and I, I see this and the temptation certainly there, you can make yourself sound smart if you want by using lofty language and the kind of words that people only become acquainted with when they regularly read theological dictionaries, which I know some of you do, but I know most of you don't. And I know most people would pretty much prefer not to read any kind of dictionary, whether it be a theological dictionary or something else. But sometimes I'll hear people use words, and I'm like, okay, I know what that means, but I think you're just saying that because you want us to know that you know what that means, right? Like when I hear certain speakers, and I I think, okay, let's applaud the 10-cent word that you used. But at the same time, I think to myself when I hear that, I think, you know, isn't it better to convey the heart of that without trying to impress somebody with your eloquence? You know, if at the end of the day, your goal is, how did I look in delivering that content? That's the wrong approach. The right approach is, did we understand Christ more, and were our hearts pointed toward him? And when you look at what the Apostle Paul says here, put, it, put yourself in, in the spot he was in as he was preparing to preach to the Corinthian church. And, well, I should even say this. At this point, they weren't even the church yet, right? So at this point, he's, he's preparing to speak to unbelievers in the city of Corinth. Now, some of them came to faith in Christ, and a church was formed there in the city of Corinth. But he came to them, and he's preaching in a hostile context, and he knew enough about their culture to know that they, what they probably would have preferred. Their culture was highly influenced by Greek thought, and Greek thought would oftentimes you know, in the days before TV and the internet and radio and all those things, one of the things that you would often do is hear somebody give a persuasive speech. You would go to hear somebody talk. And so I think they would have loved to be be impressed by a powerful, eloquent speaker who had mastered the art of persuasive speech. That's the type of thing that they were used to hearing for entertainment in the city of Corinth. And I imagine that many of the people that were listening to him probably would have preferred to hear that kind of speech from him as well, but he chose not to go in that kind of direction. Now, again, Paul was a very educated man. He wasn't somebody that was unable to give that kind of persuasive speech. But I think the Holy Spirit was indicating to him, Paul, you know what? That's not how we're going to approach things in Corinth. That's not how I want you to talk to these people. It appears that Paul was wrestling with this a little, but in the end, the Holy Spirit convinced his heart because in the moment, You know, you picture Paul, he's a missionary, he's trying to reach the people in this city, and he wondered what's the best way to communicate the gospel to this group of people. He wanted them to experience the blessing of redemption. He wanted them to receive the gift of salvation. He wanted to be able to communicate in a way that they would actually understand. But again, he was forced with this dilemma. It's either make himself look good or point people to Jesus, and he made a decision. He wasn't going to come to them with lofty words and a haughty attitude. That's what he said. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to come to you with lofty words. I'm not going to try and impress you with my vocabulary. I'm not going to try and impress you by making sure you know that, that I know something you don't know yet. That's not exactly how I'm going to go about this. He made a decision that he was going to come to them in weakness, in fear, in trembling, and that he would stick to what matters most. And what did he say matters most? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That he would stick to that truth. He chose to stick to the main thing, the central truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ. There's wisdom, by the way, in that for us as well as we think about sharing our faith with other people. But as Paul did this, 
What he was doing here, and as he's writing these things down, even as he's sharing this with the Corinthian church after they got developed there, and then obviously we're reading it as well, but he was willing to admit his weakness. I think that's a really useful thing for us as we go about day-to-day life in any respect, but particularly when it comes to sharing our faith. It's this idea that it doesn't all depend on me, does it? There are certain things that the Lord's may be able to do, but there are many things that I'm I'm reliant on Him to accomplish. That's the attitude that I think the Lord wants us to have. Paul, as he's looking at himself and he's thinking about this context, he knows the limitations of what he's humanly capable of doing. But again, in the midst of all this, he has confidence in the Holy Spirit. He knows that the power of the Spirit is greater than our human weaknesses. But it's useful for us to admit we have those weaknesses, so we learn to rely on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us and He covers us when we just step forward in obedience to His leading, but we allow Him to do His work that He's going to do through us. Now, I think at times some of us, maybe most, maybe all of us at at times, have felt some sort of pressure to present ourselves as being above struggle. Do you ever feel that kind of pressure? Do you know what I mean by that? It's like this idea that you don't want to let people know what you're wrestling with. You really just want to present yourself as above struggle. Maybe you don't have that problem. I think I do. I know yesterday, uh, after the picnic at at the Fender Homestead, by the way, thank you for hosting us all. I heard the final tally of how many people showed up. That was a big crew you guys hosted. Thanks for feeding us all. Um, But afterward, Somebody had asked for a meeting with me, not someone from our church, but a Christian leader from another context, and she said, could I just have a phone call with you? I'll try and keep it brief. And uh, she had a whole series of things that she wanted to ask me about Christian leadership. And so we went through all the things uh, on the list. And then she said, can you tell me, uh, like, are there areas of just real challenge that weigh your heart down in day-to-day life? And I was like, Wait a second. When does this get like personal? You know, like when are, when are like you're not not supposed to, you're just supposed to ask like theoretical questions about Christian leadership. But I decided, and I'm not going to go into all the details right here. You're like, oh man, that'd be really interesting. Tough, all right. But I did. I shared a few things, and I said, you know what? If you could pray about these things for me, I would actually appreciate it. And uh, and here's the thing that I've noticed: if you try and present yourself as not having any challenges in life or any struggles or any weaknesses. What you forfeit in doing that is the opportunity for other people to pray for you. And if you're forfeiting the opportunity for other people to pray for you, don't you imagine that's going to impact the nature of the spiritual heft, the spiritual power you're going to be accessing as you try to go through some of those challenges? And so here Paul says, you know what? I purposed in my heart I'd just come to you with weakness and trembling, that I'd stick to the main thing, that I'd focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified, even if you thought I was crazy even if I had to do so while trembling, even if I had to do so in weakness. That's what I was going to focus on. That's what I was going to share with you. It doesn't sound very impressive. And yet, what did the Lord do? Well, he was writing to a church, which means people came to faith in Christ, and then they were assembled into a local church body, and the gospel was spread in the city of Corinth, even though Paul would look at it and say, yeah, naturally speaking, not my best effort. However, the Spirit of God covers that. Useful for us to know when you and I are trying to share our faith with others. You don't have to be perfect at it. You might even be scared when you're doing so. That's fine. Because like Paul says, what does he say here, right? That your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but, on the power, or but in the power of God, right? 
Your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, let's talk about power. Because when you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're told that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to witness. Jesus said this prior to his ascension back to heaven. He says, but, and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Isn't that a beautiful statement that Christ made to the early church, to the early believers? So in this context, you have Jesus before he ascended back to heaven, assuring his followers that they would have the help that they needed to accomplish the work that he was leaving them on earth to accomplish. And here Jesus told the disciples that they would most definitely receive power from the Holy Spirit who would enable them to testify locally, regionally, and globally throughout the entire world, that they would be given the ability to do this, that they would be given the power to witness about him. When I read something like that, I find that to be a very helpful reminder, and I hope that you do as well. In recent years, I've noticed, do you just ever notice like some subtle changes in the way you interact with people over the course of your life? Do you ever notice like with your grandparents or even if you knew your great-grandparents that they would just say whatever and they didn't care? Do you ever notice that? I'm gradually getting there. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet, but I've noticed over the course of my life, I'm like, so this is how the process works. Because I remember my grandfathers in particular and my grandmothers as well, how they would just say things, and I was like, well, look at you guys just saying stuff. Yes, I did put on weight since I last saw you. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Well, yes, my hair has grayed a little bit more. It's good to see you as well, Grandpa, you know? And And you look at stuff like that, and you're like, how does this... How does this go? Well, I've noticed in recent years a little more comfort in my conversations with people, particularly those that I don't know, when I'm seeking to be intentional about sharing the gospel, a comfort level that I can be transparent with you and say that an earlier season of life, I don't remember it quite being there. I remember as a young Christian, when I was attempting to share the gospel with friends and even you know, those that were older than me, family members, people like that, sometimes I would get a sick feeling in my stomach. Like, I'd get really, really nervous. And I would think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. Like, people are going to end up in hell because I messed this up. Like, that would be the type of stuff that I'd be going through my head. It's like, I, I got to get this right. I got to get this right. And I, I was putting all this pressure on myself. I'd get sick to my... But I'd, I'd still say it. But afterward, after taking the steps to actually share the gospel with somebody then my follow-up in my own mind would then be to beat myself up about all my weaknesses and limitations about how I went about it. And the major difference between me now and at an earlier season of life is the growing understanding of how the Lord is doing His work. Because that's what I wasn't appreciating during that season. And I've started to understand my role and his role with a little more clarity. Now, I know that I'll understand it perfectly in glory, right, in heaven. But right now, we're all in a growing process. And so I've started to understand my role and his role a little bit better. My role, our role, right, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our role is to be intentional, to build genuine relationships with others, and then joyfully share about what Jesus has done for us. It's a good synopsis of our role, what he wants to do for others as well, right? 
His role is to open eyes, change hearts, and foster belief. I can't do those things. Can I open eyes? No, I can't. Can I change hearts? Nope. Try to. Doesn't work for me. Can I foster belief? I can't make anyone believe anything they don't want to believe. I'm responsible to share the gospel. You're responsible to share the gospel. He's responsible to save those who hear and believe. That's the division of responsibility. And here's what I've learned about myself, and maybe this will encourage someone this morning. I've come to believe that my nervousness about sharing the gospel during earlier seasons of life was directly related to my assumptions that I needed, that I needed to do it under my own power. That's what I was overemphasizing. I was overemphasizing my own wisdom, my own power. I was thinking I had to do it under my own power. I think I was counting on myself more than I was counting on the Holy Spirit to do his part, which is the big part, right? Now, what I'm learning is to be content to be an ambassador for Christ in word and in deed, but then leaving the outcome of that up to him. The outcome of it is up to him. The part that I'm responsible for is to represent him well and speak up, right? To actually use words and to live a life that backs up those words. But the outcome of that, that's up to him. And again, what did Jesus say? He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then he lists basically saying throughout the whole world, locally, regionally, globally, you'll be my witnesses. Now, what does this mean for those we're praying for? Oh, before I even get to that, let, let, me, let me mention something else. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God into our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me just ask this really quickly. Are you convinced that God loves you? Is that something you're convinced of? Many of you are. I bet you some of you aren't. I've never been in a crowd or a group of people with this many people that had complete um, unity in an answer to a question like that. And most people on this earth are not con- convinced that, that God loves them. But if you do believe that God loves you, why do you believe that? Why is that something you actually believe? When you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and you see what the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Rome, he reveals that the, the reason we believe that is because the Holy Spirit lives within us, and God's love was poured into our heart through him. So the Holy Spirit is actually convincing you that, you're, that you are loved by God. That's why you believe that. It's part of his ministry. It's part of what he's doing. Now, years ago, my wife and I went to visit uh, we went to visit her parents who live in western New York. I think this was uh, about nine years ago, almost exactly from where we are on the calendar right now. And so since it was summer, we decided to take our children to a park that was in the area. And uh, while we were there, we interacted with a young woman who had been engaging in a considerable amount of self-harm. And it was very, very obvious. And much of the evidence of that could be seen particularly on her arms. The, the view of her arms is really, it's kind of burned into my brain. I don't think that there'll ever be a season in my life where, where I forget what I saw. It was very hard to see. And it wasn't just because it looked painful, but because of what those wounds and those scars represented. 
Because for somebody to to do that to themselves, that means they believe something about themselves that's not correct. She struggled to see herself as loved. She did not see herself as loved, possibly by the people in her day-to-day life, um, possibly as well in her relationship with God. But she was living with essentially no understanding of God's love or his desire to pour that love into the lives of his children through his spirit. And I remember looking at that, and uh, every time over the past nine years that she has come to mind, I have regularly remembered to pray for her, that she would understand this, this idea of the love of God being accessible to her, and praying that the Holy Spirit would just pour that love into her heart. And here's the thing, we can demonstrate the love of God, we have the opportunity to do that for sure, but only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. That's important to understand when we're sharing our faith. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. Romans 5, 5 illustrates that change of heart. Only the Holy Spirit can help us truly understand and embrace the nature of the compassion of our Creator. Only the Holy Spirit can transform us from people who felt anchored to our shame to now people who live with genuine hope. You have the Apostle Paul giving us that understanding, and it's useful for us to... to, uh, reflect on that as we think about sharing our faith, because there are people in your life and people in my life that I've been praying for for a long time, people that I want to see come to faith in Christ, and uh, people I think about frequently. And, I, and when we look at these things, and when we, when we just contemplate what Scripture tells us, I think it's a useful question to ask, what does this mean for those that we're praying for? You know, as we just think about some of the things we've looked at, even just momentarily, and there's many more things in Scripture we could look at, but even in our brief time, the things that we're looking at, what does it mean for those that we're praying for. Well, consider what Paul said when we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you look at verses 3 through 6 in 2 Corinthians 4, and it says this. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, so that's a reference to Satan, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So think about some of the things that Paul's saying here. He's talking about this idea of spiritual blindness prevailing in the lives of a variety of people. Now, sometimes I like to tell stories from my childhood, and I'm going to give a caveat to the story I'm about to tell you uh, before I tell it. Because several weeks ago, I shared a story about a time when I got in a fight when I was in school. And I thought to myself... I actually have a lot of those stories of getting in fights in school. And I thought, well, how often can our church put up with stories of their pastor being in a fist fight in school? I'm about to find out. I don't know the answer to that, right? I don't remember if I've ever told you this, but I was thinking about it in particular to this uh, scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But when I was growing up, um, right when I was about eight years old, I moved to a new town. It's very different from my previous community. The previous community that I lived in was, I, I think, was relatively nice. It was certainly not a spot where I expected a whole lot of conflict. And I moved to a new area 
in a new community that had a very different mindset from where I had been growing up up to that point. And that was made clear to me by just how much fighting I had to do in my new elementary school. So picture a fourth grader trying to meet new people and discovering, oh, you must fight every day. And it was kind of like that for a while. It was like an everyday thing, fighting every day just to make it to the end of the school year. It's like either fight or, or be destroyed. And I still remember one particular day, I was still a relatively new student at this school, and I would ride the bus to get back home. And I don't remember exactly what we had at lunch that day, but I know it was either, it had to be either hamburgers or hot dogs. And there were ketchup packets that they gave to the students. They stopped giving ketchup packets to the students at one point because students at that age, what do they like to do? Lots of things with them, including throwing them on the ground, stepping on them and making them shoot up walls. All good stuff, but not something you want all throughout your elementary school. But another one of the guys grabbed a handful of those ketchup packets and he had some ideas for what he was going to do with them. And I remember that day I got off the the bus, and as soon as I got off the bus, a couple kids grabbed me, and another kid, he had those ketchup packets all squirted out into his hands, and he rubbed it all in my eyes immediately. So just picture all that vinegar and all of that in my eyes. Like, I couldn't see. I I was, my eyes are watering. They're stinging. I've got all this in my eyes. And he brought me across the street where there was kind of an open area, and it, he just started pounding me. And, like, I could have swung at the wind, but, I, like, I couldn't see anything. I had all this vinegar in my eyes, and I just remember thinking, like, what do I even do? It was so unexpected. And he just started pounding me and pounding me. I was, it was unexpected. It was a bit traumatic. It also taught me I don't want to be caught off guard like that again. And that was one of those early experiences that kind of had a little bit of a foundational nature to it in how I approach that season of life. I'm going to come back to that story in just a moment. When you look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, it reveals to us that the devil likes to play a similar trick on the people of this world. He actively blinds their minds and their eyes to keep them from understanding the gospel or seeing the light of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan is actively trying to blind the minds and blind the eyes of people from understanding the gospel or seeing the light of Christ. Satan does everything he can to keep the unbelieving world living in ignorance, fighting against themselves, and just rejecting God and denying his very existence. That's one of Satan's primary activities during this era of history. And we find ourselves in a spot where We need someone to rescue us from that spiritual blindness. Otherwise, we're just going to be completely pummeled. Now, coming back to that experience that I had that day with that fight, apparently, while I was being pummeled by that classmate, my mother, who was half a block up but was looking down toward the bus stop, could sort of see what was going on. And some of you know my mom, just a little lady. She ran down the street, crossed over the street, And she chased that kid up the hill, and he just, like, he ran and tried not to get caught by my mom. (laughs) I recognize this is not a very masculine story to tell you, all right? Like, that literally, my mom, my little mom, came running down the street and chased this bully away from me while I'm trying to regain my sight. Um, But I'm, I'm glad she did. And I was like, I didn't know you had that in you, mom, you know? It's like, I was like, like, she would, I think... He's fortunate that he ran. I'm just going to say, like, just imagine the fury of a four foot eleven mom ready to just, like, protect her boy, right? And um, 
for us in the spiritual realm, like in a very real sense, we needed the intervention of the Holy Spirit to end our spiritual blindness. Apart from his intervention, if he didn't intervene on our behalf, where would we be? What would we see? What would we understand? The Spirit is the one who ends our spiritual beating. He's the one who removes the blinders from our eyes. This is part of his ministry. So now think about this. If you're someone who has the desire to share the message of the gospel with people in your day-to-day life, people that you love, people that you care about, What should you do if there are people in your life that you'd love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ, but at present, they are resistant to that idea? What should you do? Well, I think the principles that we need to keep in mind are outlined in Scripture when it reveals what the Holy Spirit does in regard to evangelism. I think we're being encouraged to stick to the main thing. Well, what's the main thing? Jesus, just as the Apostle Paul did, right? Don't worry about the side issues. You know, I, I look at it too, like a lot of times you'll be, you'll be witnessing to people and what, what will they say? They'll have all these things in their life. Well, you know what? I still struggle with this. Or, you know, do, would your God love me? I'm covered in tattoos. That's one I've heard uh, from time to time from one specific friend of my life. Or I have this kind of past or I have this kind of experience or whatever it may be. It's like, listen, those are secondary things and not even what I'm talking about. Stick to the main thing. Jesus, who he is what he does for us. Second principle we've already seen in the scriptures we're looking at today, demonstrate and rely on the Holy Spirit's power, not your own. You don't have to rely on your own power in those conversations or in those moments, but we can rely on his power. And he certainly offers it to us. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and would empower us to be his witnesses throughout this world. Third thing, remember and realize that it's the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into a heart and will convince us of the love of God when we need that convincing. And so the people that you're interacting with, the people that you're saying, if they could just understand how much God loves them. Well, again, what did Romans 5.5 tell us? That the Holy Spirit will accomplish that pouring of the love of God in our hearts and what we see in 2 Corinthians 4, pray that the Holy Spirit would open up the eyes and the minds of those that you love. Pray that he will do that. He delights to do that. Here's the cool thing. So I'm 47 right now. It changes by the minute. Um, But if you live long enough, you will see the Lord answering your prayers for the salvation of those you love. You'll see it. If you live long enough, you'll start to see it. And your confidence in his ability to save will grow. In the past few decades, I have seen family members on my side of the family that seem so distant from the Lord. I've seen them come to faith in Jesus Christ. I've watched as like a wave of people in my wife's side of the family have come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's been a beautiful thing to see. I've seen some friends from high school now come to faith in Jesus Christ, and I love that. I've seen a few friends from this season of life that I'm in right now at present come to faith in the Lord as well. And here's a cool one. I even heard just the other day, I heard this through my sister, I heard just the other day of the faith of someone that I've been praying for years that he would experience salvation. Uh, He passed away just a few days ago, earlier this week. And I've been praying for this guy for years, and my sisters had the opportunity to attend his funeral. And at his funeral, 
they heard the pastor that shared the message talk about how over the past four years, this person came to faith in Jesus Christ and has been super active in the local church. Now, I didn't know that about him, I, but I've been praying for him probably, I don't know, two, three decades at least. And so I got to hear another testimony of someone that I've been praying for for years who came to faith in Christ in his last four years of life and spent the last four years of life uh, actively involved in a local church, worshiping the Lord. Uh, the pastor even joked, he said, you know, since he came to faith in Christ, every Sunday he always brought me like a handful of mints. And he's like, I'm going to have to go out and buy my own mints now, now that he's gone. But he said that affectionately, just saying, you know what, how neat that the last four years of his life we were able to have that kind of relationship because we had a common Savior in Jesus. So here's the thing, like there are people that you're praying for that it might take right up to the end. Maybe it'll be right up to the end before they finally come to faith in Christ. Don't stop praying for them. And don't, ta- don't fail to take the opportunities to share the message of the gospel because it's not about your power. It's not about you convincing them. It's not about you doing a perfect job. It's about you representing Christ and actually speaking the words. That's God's ordained means that the words of the gospel would be spoken through the children of God to the ears of those who do not believe and that the Holy Spirit would change the hearts of those who don't believe, so that they would receive the love of God and understand their need for Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. When you share your faith, joyfully do your part, but trust the Holy Spirit to do what only he can. That gives me so much peace at this season of my life. And here's the thing. He will bless you and he will amaze you as he demonstrates his power to save and you're going to be able to watch his hand at work, and you're going to give him praise and testify to the fact that he answers prayer as he rescues the people you've been praying for one at a time in his perfect timing. I've got a list of people I'm still praying for. And when I get the opportunity, I speak up. And there are relationships I initiate because I, 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 I genuinely want to get to know certain people, but also really want to have the privilege to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we serve as Christ's ambassadors in our day-to-day life, in our neighborhood, in our family, a lot of your witness is going to come through your family, to your extended family, maybe even to your children, your grandchildren. There are people in your household that you're called to witness to as well. Much of it's going to happen there. But there are neighbors, coworkers, friends, people from your past, people that will come out of the blue to just ask you a question about your faith because they've been seeing you live it out. Don't hesitate to speak up, but again, keep in mind, You can trust the Holy Spirit to do his job. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the fact that as we just think about the personalities represented here in this place, some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are somewhere in between. And that's essentially irrelevant information. doesn't matter if we're extroverts or introverts or if we tend to be vocal or, or tend to be reserved or whatever categorized or way we would categorize ourselves, it, it, that's not the issue. We're just so grateful, Lord, that you can utilize each and every one of us to be men and women who serve as your ambassadors and who testify to the fact that you save lives and you give hope for the future and you convince people who feel unloved, people who feel stuck in shame, people who don't feel too happy about themselves. You convince us of your love through your spirit. 
So we thank you that you do that. We thank you for what you've accomplished on our behalf through the work and the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ, that we have the privilege, as he said, to to serve as his witnesses throughout this world and testify to the fact that Christ was crucified on our behalf, that he died on our behalf, taking our shame and sin upon himself, that he rose on the third day, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and offering new life to all who will trust in him. Lord, we're grateful that you give us the privilege to speak that message and that your spirit goes before us and speaks through us. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that that this is the way you have orchestrated the message of the gospel to be proclaimed, and that you're with us in this process, that you haven't left us to our own wisdom or our own strength or our own abilities, but that we could trust in you in the midst of all these things. We thank you, Lord, also for the fact that in your mercy and in your grace, you have removed the blinders that were on our eyes. At one point, we didn't understand. We didn't know the, the truth of the gospel. We didn't know that we had need for, our, for a Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. We were going about life just thinking it was just this routine thing, not realizing that, that the purpose of this time was that ultimately we would come to know you so we could glorify you. Lord, we're just so grateful for what you've done in and through us. We thank you for those around us that you have also drawn unto yourself. And again, Lord, we pray that you would use us as as heralds of your message, uh, the message of the gospel, so that other people would hear these things as they're spoken from our lips and that they would come to know you as you have allowed us to do so. We're so grateful for these things. Thank you for the transparency of the Apostle Paul as he was willing to share some of the things that he wrestled with while he was seeking to speak to the people at Corinth. And Lord, we pray that we would take some comfort in knowing that it's not really about giving a perfect presentation. It's not really about having every single answer all lined up. It's just simply about being faithful, expressing the information that we know, the message of your gospel, sticking to the main thing, your son Jesus Christ and him crucified. And not getting lost in the weeds of all the secondary details. So, Lord, thank you for these reminders from your word. We pray for your guidance, strength, and power as we seek to be your witnesses in this world. And we commit ourselves to you right now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.